This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Sarah Hyder. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Ben. Uh, so you have done some work on Girls Who Code, right? Yes. Go ahead. Tell me about that. I'd love to hear so, about it. Girls Who Code is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to uh, inspire and encourage young girls to join uh, engineering fields and STEM disciplines. STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm-hmm. And uh, they focus primarily at the high school level, and they run these these intensive eight-week sessions throughout the summer in a variety of cities. I think there were in 10 cities uh, this summer. Uh, they're going on right now. I, I actually just a couple weeks ago went into Twitter to see the girls that are being hosted there. Hmm. And in these eight weeks, they learn about programming. They learn about the industry. They learn about uh, what it's like to be an engineer. They get connected with engineers uh, within the valley or whatever area they're in and uh, kind of get a, a look at what it's all about, what what product development is like and, and you know what it's like to be in the industry. And they also get to talk to you know, role models in there in their field. So, uh, and at the end of it, we hope they all would like to study computer science or engineering in college. And Mm -hmm. we follow along their progress and keep in touch with them. Um, and a lot of them have gone back to their high schools after the program is over and started these girls who code clubs Hmm. that, uh, are basically like computer science clubs, but they get a lot of support from the organization throughout the year. Uh, to run that as well. Hmm. So it sounds like there have been some early indications that things are going well, like it's working. Yes. So our first class, which we had in 2012 uh, in New York, it was just one class of 20 girls. We had at the end of it, uh, 100% I will consider computer science in college rate at the end of it. Mm -hmm. It does work. Awesome. And and now you can actually follow that cohort, right? And see if they, if they stick to it. Exactly. One of the cool things you mentioned that it's a cohort and, and one of the cool things about it is that these girls, regardless of what schools they go to, they get this experience over eight weeks and they now have each other. They now have this bond with each other mm. in, in their class, which is something that I didn't have when I went to college. Uh, I didn't have a group of friends that uh, that went into computer science with me, regardless of what school I went to an all girl high school. And in my graduating class, I was one of four girls that went into computer science, and I think the only one that stayed. Hmm. It sounds like that social aspect is probably really important, because I remember reading that there seemed to be like a drop-off in interest in science and math in females as they, I think, somewhere in high school or maybe even a little bit earlier. It's basically right before high school, Mm -hmm. um, grade 6, grade 7, grade 8. So that's why I think it's so important to to make sure that they maintain interest at that young age. Right. And, and the speculation is that that's like almost a social pressure, right? You know, I honestly have no answers. Um, it could be a social pressure, uh, but you see exceptions to the rule all the time. Maybe it is a product of, you know, the culture. Maybe it's just because you don't see enough uh, female, you know, older female yep. women in, in the field. Uh, it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle. Yeah, or like possibly if there's a, a subtle message somehow they get this, they get this idea that's not for me. Maybe. Yeah, could be. So what are you doing uh, with the, the organization these days specifically? So I help out whenever I, in whatever way I can. Um, now that I'm no longer at Twitter and I don't have the resources that I was able to mobilize while I was there, yeah. um, I go in and I speak to the girls whenever I can. I, I spoke to them in New York last year and then at Twitter this year. I'll go to their graduation and, and help them out that way. And I keep in touch with the founders and 
you know, help them whatever way I can, get them connected to people, whether it's reviewing applicants or advising in a technical perspective about the curriculum, et cetera. Um, I'm still on their advisory board. Oh, cool. Awesome. So you are uh, at Secret now, right? I am, yes. What's that like? Uh, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's a small company. It's a startup. I've not done a, a small startup-like thing like this before. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's a crazy ride. I think I saw an article recently about how there are over over half your hires are have been women. That is correct. That's a way out of the norm, right? It is. Um, I was the first engineer to be hired as well. So having a first engineer being female is way out of the norm. Yeah. Besides just being smaller, do you, do you feel like that gives a distinctively different feel? Um. I think what gives it a distinctively different feel, you know, I worked on Vine while I was at Twitter and that was a, I was a small group of people as well, mm-hmm. but secret has, um, you know, we, we, we all know what we want to do. We, we've got this crazy mission and we're just, the, the only thing against us is time. So we work a lot because we know what we want to do and we, we, we are so passionate about it and we just want to do it. Uh, and it's really cool to be working with a group of people that all share the same uh, the same end goal. What is that? We want to be the platform where your unfiltered, raw thoughts go. So having worked in social media for quite some time, I've seen a lot of the popular social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter become these curated versions of your best self. Yeah. And if you look at my Twitter feed, I'm, I'm reasonably conservative on there. And, uh, you know, I, I say things that I'm doing, places that I'm visiting. But if I've had a bad day at work, that generally doesn't go on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, especially while I was working there. Mm-hmm. But everyone has a bad day at work at some point. And I think that's what Secret uh, allows us to see. It gives us this dimension into your social network of stuff that people wouldn't associate with their with their names necessarily. It's interesting, though. So I totally get that in that, like, I, I have my Twitter feed is definitely curated. Like, it, it's... It started off as a personal thing and rapidly morphed into a work thing yeah. to the point where it became inseparable from my job. And so there are things that I, I'm not going to talk about there. Um, yeah, I find it funny when people you know, say in their bios, my thoughts are my own expression and not that of my employers. I mean, I'm glad you've gave me, given me that disclaimer, but you're always going to be you know, an expression piece of your employer. Right. Yeah. We, there was actually an email that went around like a year ago and someone was saying, you know, please know that you represent ThoughtBot when you're doing this. And so, you know, try not to engage the trolls or whatnot. And at, when I first read that, I was like really ragey. And I got, I got all rights. So I was like, what? No way. This is my thing. And it doesn't reflect back on us. And how dare you try to censor me? And as I thought about more and more, I was like, actually, that's actually kind of true. It definitely, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to separate that at this point. Yes. And Twitter especially has become you know, a, a, a press piece. It's, it's, a, it's a broadcast, it's a micro broadcast. It's your own press platform. Yeah, totally. So you're saying that you want to be this place where people can express all these things and, and give this unfiltered views. But if it's anonymous, like it, it's, that's almost its own filter, right? Like you're not actually expressing these things to everyone. You're expressing them anonymously. And so it's, in a way, it's like you haven't said it. If a tree falls in the forest <laughs> and only anonymous people are around to, to hear it. Right. Um, so... In a way, it is like you haven't said it because you weren't the person whose name is attached to that, but because it is your social network, because it is your friends. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what makes Secret really special. It's that it it gives this interesting community feeling with your friends when you read a secret that you agree with or you read a secret that you, you very, very much disagree with. 
that these are your friends. These are the people that you hang out with day to day. These are the people that you text. Mm -hmm. And when secrets are mentioned in the media, when they're mentioned in TechCrunch articles or or whatever, uh, alongside the public tweets, it's an interesting juxtaposition to see, well, this is what this person said in the public, but this is how, you know, this person who's in my friend circle, this is how our friends really feel about it. Hmm. Um, So maybe... The, what doesn't matter is is who said it, but the fact that it was said from this group of people. Hmm. Have you felt your relationships with anyone change because of stuff you've read on there? On Secret? Yeah. Well, you know, whenever you see one from a friend that, that feels a little close to home, mm-hmm. you wonder, you know, is this, uh, is this my coworker who said that? Is this, you know, is, is, that, is that my sister? Did she say that? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's been a bad thing. I think if anything... People, what they tend to do when they're looking at secret in a, in a group, which has become this activity, even at like bars, which is, you know, you should talk to people face to face. You should not be glued to your phone at a bar. But someone will bring out secret and people will start going through and people start posting and you'll look around the group, be like, oh, my God, who posted that? Um, but it actually starts conversation because you'll see something that maybe hits close to home and, and I'll and I'll ask. I'll ask my sister, did you did you post this? Hmm. And uh, she'll be like, yes or no. She might lie. I, I don't know. But um, it would at least start the conversation about that topic. Yeah. But it's funny that it also starts the conversation w- with you wanting to know whether or not it was her. Yes. Which it becomes has become part of our vernacular now. Did you post this secret has become a phrase that is baked into my everyday life. Huh. Interesting. I wonder if you could make something. So I, I love the idea of the honesty. Like I love speaking truths that are potentially hard to say. Um, those are, all, I think, often the most useful things to be truthful about is when you feel a little bit of a hang up about them or when they're hard to do. The uh, anonymity to me, like, is, is, like I said, like a little bit of a filter, like almost it almost weakens it or something. But I, I wonder if you so you're saying if, so the nice thing about secret is you can get these things out there. I wonder if it would be possible to make something that it was not anonymous, but people still felt like they could say things that would be unpopular tied to their real identity. I wonder if that's if you could build something with that just culture to it or something. I mean, in many ways, that is Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. But but it's it's not for us, right? No, not for not for us. I think for us, for you know, people who use Twitter as a as as the best curated version of themselves, Secret is is really that outlet. It's it's hard, you know. I've had experiences where you know things are uh, taken out of context, and stories are written about that, and, and and all of that. And I cannot imagine if something is indexable by Google. I can't imagine having an unfiltered discussion Mm. for fear that people would know what you really think for fear that it'll be taken out of context. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, if you, if you follow me on Twitter and, and follow the, my general conversation, I, I can get pretty unfiltered. I generally don't care, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I, you know, when it comes to like very personal things, uh, I like, I like secret for, for that stuff. Gotcha. Totally going to change the subject for a second here. I'm seeing your Twitter feed. It looks like you were in Vegas a couple of days ago and you saw Michael Jackson or the, the one, the Cirque du Soleil show. Yes, I was there on Saturday. Uh, I actually did the exact same thing. On Saturday? Uh, it was a couple of days before that. I said on Wednesday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty awesome, right? It was amazing. I was actually astonished. I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan and I think they did a, a great piece to his legacy. And what's crazy to me is that his moves and his, his clothes and all of that, they're, they're so signature. You can, you can pick out Michael from a mile away and that's that's never changed it's never going to change hmm. yeah i was blown away just at how good the Cirque du Soleil stuff was i actually went and saw two other shows after that because i liked that first one so much what did you see uh, i saw ka and um zoomanity 
Ah, yes, I've seen both of those as well. Yeah, they were great. Uh, going back to Secret, what what are you actually doing today? You're an Android developer, is that true? Yes, I'm the Android lead. Okay. So are you doing uh, more project managing stuff, or are you writing code? I am writing code. I am writing a lot of code. Right now I'm writing more code than doing anything else. Mm-hmm. So we launched the Android app uh, at the end of May, and it's been awesome. I- I've worked on Android for the last uh, over, over three years now, mm. and it's been really great to see uh, Android's progression. Um, you know, when I worked on Twitter for Android, we were, were building for Eclair, and now Eclair is like, it's a word that most people probably haven't even heard of. And we're at a point now where we can build features on Android first. We can iterate on Android, and we can, we can experiment on Android, and we can actually create beautiful, traditionally iOS-like experiences on Android, uh, which is really awesome for me as a developer, having gone through the, the dark years. Mm-hmm. Did you, and so you, you launched on iOS first, is that true? We launched Secret on iOS first earlier in the year, but when we launched Android, we actually launched uh, new features on Android uh, before iOS caught up. And to even say the phrase iOS caught up mm-hmm. is uh, kind of blows my mind that, that this is the situation we're in now. Yeah. In terms of a breakdown of like number of users, do you know what, roughly what it is, Android versus iOS? I don't. It's, it's pretty even, I would say. Cool. So how do you like your gig? I love it. I love it. Um, it's it's an awesome, awesome ride. And I think it's been a very natural next step for me working on social media apps on Android uh, to work on this and to build it from from the ground up. You know, when it, the, the product decisions aside and, and how the products impact society, all of that aside, at the end of the day, when you're building an app on Android, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. You're building a list view. You're building a comment stream. You're building, you know, a way to have icons tappable in this and, and that all of that has kind of not changed. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of turned, you know, the list view into my craft as I've done it a few times now. Um, and, you know, making it interesting and changing it and better every time. And Secret, we launched on 4.1 and above. So I was able to not deal with some of the reverse compatibility issues that we deal with uh, on, mm-hmm. on those other apps, which has been really cool for me. That's interesting that you say you made a craft of the list view. Like, I feel like <laughs> I and a lot of Rails developers have made a craft of, like, CRUD apps. Exactly. Exactly. I'm incredible at, at making a CRUD app these days. How fast can you make, uh, how fast can you build Reddit with, uh, yeah. get it down to 30 minutes? Yeah, right. It's getting there. <laughs> so is, are there any things that you miss from your Twitter days? Like, if you could import some of that stuff, would you? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of superficial things that I miss, like the food and the fact that it's right across the street from where I live. So mm-hmm. uh, there was all those conveniences. But, you know, the, the people are awesome. Um, I, I miss the Vine team dearly. I, I keep in touch with them a lot and uh, keep up to date on what they're doing and stuff. And, and, and I miss those guys a lot. Mm. What made you leave then? You know, I'd been at the company for a while and I was just kind of looking for the next adventure and, and secret kind of serendipitously came into my life. When I met with David and Chris, I, I, had, I had known David just socially before, but um, not very well. These are the founders? Yes. Okay. Sorry, these are the founders, David Bytown and Chris Bader. Mm-hmm. When I finally met with them and we had dinner uh, while I was interviewing and there was a moment where I was all of a sudden like, oh my God, these are the guys that I want to work with. This is the product I want to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, this is I've totally fallen in love with the product and the company and the vision. And at that point, there was no other course for me. I mm. had to I had to do this. That's cool. It seems like the really good startup founders are amazing at getting people excited about like their vision. They're like we're going to like getting you to come along and on board and get, and get excited too. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, to be a founder, your vision has to be huge. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a lot of hard work for 
for uh, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So could you take me through your uh, your daily routine? Give me like all the boring details. Sure. Um, daily routine. So I, I live near I live near Twitter. So I, I get up and I, I go wait for my Uber in front of the Twitter building. Wow. You Uber to work? Yeah, I Uber to work. Every day and back? I don't have a car. I haven't had a car in five years. But yeah. I've had kind of various cars accessible to me. And I, I just kind of got rid of that. I've been using Uber for over three years now. For your daily commute? Wow. What does that cost to get to work? If I'm taking X, it's $5.60. Okay. Just not terrible. Yeah. Like you know, almost public transit levels, depending on where you are. It is public transit level, depending on, on what kind of a rush I'm in or what kind of a mood I'm in. I'll yeah. take black. Okay. Uh, sometimes you just need that, the black one. So you skipped uh, what time you got up and whether you ate breakfast and all that. Uh, sure. So I usually get up at around nine. Um, it takes me about an hour to get ready, mm-hmm. um, which is, I always find it as a disadvantage as a woman. It takes me one hour to get ready, and I feel like men can just roll out of bed. Men get more out of the day than I do because mm. of this. Uh, so it takes me an hour to get ready. I get into work somewhere between 10.30 and 11. Mm-hmm. I generally get coffee at work. I need, I need coffee. Is that the very first thing? You walk in the door and it's coffee time? First thing. Okay. Do not talk to me if there has not been coffee. Are you an aeropressor, a Keurig person? I have a Keurig machine, um, but to be honest, I don't use it a lot. I I don't care. I will drink crappy coffee. My favorite coffee in the world is Dunkin' Donuts black coffee. They put something in there. They it's it's crack. I don't know what it is, but yeah. they that is my favorite coffee in the world. It actually pains me that there's no Dunkin' out here. Never never lose that. By the way, <laughs> that's that's a great place to be. Is where you don't care at all. I managed to like start spoiling myself with like really good AeroPress coffee, and now like I'm I've turned into a snob like against my my wishes. So, what's your favorite coffee? Uh, my favorite coffee is way too way too strong iced coffee that I make with AeroPress in the morning. Iced coffee. Yeah. So I'll put like thirty grams of beans in there, which is a lot, and uh, make this like double triple strength iced coffee enema in the morning, which is like really pretty <laughs> incredibly good. Oh, wow! And there's just one coffee for the day. Uh, it's like maybe usually one after lunch too. I'll often make another one. Yeah. I usually have a latte after lunch. That's the the routine. That sounds nice and mellow. Yeah. Um, usually by the time I get to secret, there's, there's food. So there's either breakfast or lunches come early. And if I want to have a snack, I'll have a snack then. And then, um, we have our stand up at, at 11. Um, what a sane hour to have a stand up. Yeah. I wish we could have ours at 11. When's your stand up? Ours is at 10. Okay. Okay. I usually make it. Um, pretty early on, on East coast time. You know, when I was, uh, when I was working at Vine, I was living in New York and, uh, I still kept, I think, reasonable West coast hours mm-hmm. while I was living there. Yeah. So 10, 10 seems really early. So the standup is cool. Get to find out what everyone else is working on. The company is still small. So we actually go through everyone, uh, and what they're, you know, what they're doing today. Um, and it still only takes like 10 minutes, which is awesome. Mm. So is, is that the, the stand-up rule? You, just, you say what you're doing? Yeah, one thing you did yesterday and, uh, and uh, your main goals for the day. And, and one of the things David always says is like, look, we all know we're doing a lot of stuff. Don't feel like you have to give a novel about all the things you're doing today. Mm. Just because what you're saying might sound short doesn't mean we don't, you know, we don't know that you're It's not a competition. Doing, it's not yeah, yeah. a competition. That's good. That sounds like a very healthy attitude. Yes. And I think it just kind of aligns everybody for the day. Um, and, you know, if David has any announcements, he'll, he'll make them then. Mm-hmm. 
and then we code. We usually we usually don't need a lot of regrouping time to figure out what's next because it's um, most of the time very clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, but clear you know, because maybe... you've decided this, or clear because it's come down from the founders. Where where did that come from? Uh, we have meetings uh, with the whole team uh, once a week or once every two weeks, and and the kind of general direction of where things are going dictates, uh, you know, the day-to-day work that we have. But it's been very easy so far. Like, this is the stuff we want to do. Android, go make it happen. Like, we don't have to spend too much time sitting around. I I have two Android engineers working with me, and we don't have to spend that much time sitting around, you know, being like, okay, how do we do this, and how is it going to structure, or whatever, because most of the time it's just just obvious. Okay. So you code until lunch, I guess? Uh, Code until lunch. I usually have lunch at my desk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lunch is often catered, so I'll just bring it back to my desk. And then code, code, code. Um, You're living a rough life, it sounds like. One of the best things about joining a startup is that I'm unimpeded by meetings. I can just just code. And we, we code in a, you know, we all sit reasonably close together we've got we've got dogs in the office we've got so many dogs in the office for a small number of people Hmm. sometimes the number of dogs outnumbers the the number of humans which is which is hilarious yeah um but we all sit you know very close to each other and we we keep an open conversation throughout the day and then you know dinner sometimes i i go to the gym and then we and then we, we code into the night gotcha so what time are you usually leaving work then Last night was pretty late. Last night was uh, 12 30, 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Usually I'll leave it around 10. Okay. So that's like like a 9 or 10 hour day, it sounds like. Yeah. Somewhere around there usually. Do you feel that that's a sustainable pace for you? Can you do that forever, you think? Um, I think I can do the, the 10 to 10 or the 11 to 10 thing for a pretty long time. Uh, go, because you can still go out at that point. Mm-hmm. You can still go out and you know unwind your brain. But if it's if you're there till one thirty or two, you cannot do anything else <laughs> at that point in time. You got to go home. Nobody's going to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you just you just got to go home. So I think that is more unsustainable. But uh, I try to keep it to like ten, and and then uh, if I feel like I can feel like going out, I can. And I think as long as you're spending a few minutes at home, just like chilling, and you're spending enough time with other people, mm-hmm. uh, you can sustain that for for a while. Do you meditate or anything like that? I don't meditate, um, but I do play Candy Crush, mm-hmm. and it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Um, actually, that's, that's true. Like people, you can meditate in different ways. Like anything that lets you kind of calm your thoughts can be meditative. Yes, I find that my my mind kind of like wanders and, and solves problems, fixes bugs mm-hmm. while I while I play Candy Crush. Totally, that's cool. Do you do code reviews? Yes. So we didn't while well, we were up until the point where we were uh, launching the Android app in May. And then a couple of weeks after that, I brought in the, the code review mandate. So now we code review everything on mm-hmm. Android, uh, which I think is great. There's three of us and, I, and you know, we work really well together. And um, the rhythm that we've gotten into is that once a code review has been pushed and we're just using GitHub right now, which is not the greatest code review tool, the diffs there are really not easy to parse, especially when they're long. Um, hmm. But the rhythm that we've gotten into is that reviews up, we post that link into HipChat, and we try to keep a really low SLA on the time it takes to, to accept or, or comment on a review, yep. because we don't want to stall things. We want to keep things going as fast as possible. So generally, when I see a code review come up, I drop everything I'm doing. 
I look at it. We try to keep core views as small as possible so it's not a big deal. Right. Um, and then, you know, I accept it or comment on it and I can keep moving forward and, and he can keep moving forward too. Mm. Do you have any code review tricks? <laughs> code review tricks. You know, when something's in code that you've, you've been working in a lot, it's very easy. Reading it is kind of like going over code that you would have written or have already written. But doing a code review in, in code that you haven't worked in a lot or, or you're unfamiliar with, those can be really tough. Maybe the, that comes easier to some people, but that doesn't come easy to me, and I have to use more energy to like figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm, for sure. Generally, especially for big reviews in critical parts of the code, I will pull the code. I will pull the branch, I will build it myself, and I will go through different scenarios that I think about and then see how that gets reflected in the code, turn yeah. on the debugger. I think that's undervalued, or, I think, or maybe an underused trick. I think we sometimes get a little obsessed or fo- too over-focused on what the code looks like. And get away from, like, did you actually run this and poke at it and see what you think? Which is, in my opinion, the most important part of of the code yeah. review. Yeah. So I think some people, you know, some of the guys that I work with at, at Twitter um, have the ability to look at unfamiliar code and just basically run it in their brains. Yeah. Um, and I can do that, with again, with familiar code, but with unfamiliar code, I can't. So that's that's what I have to do in order to do a thorough code review. Mm-hmm. And you get better at it. It's like a skill like anything else. Code reviewing is absolutely a skill. Sure. Totally agree. Do you write tests on your team? We write some basic unit tests uh, for parts of the code that are easily testable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We don't have a lot of UI tests. We don't have a lot of integration tests. Testing on Android has been, it's just, it just takes so much time. Mm. And I would love to be at a point where we have better tests and more tests and Mm. Um, the Twitter for Android suite has really good test coverage, but they also have QA engineers that have time to, to make sure that those things are running, that they're running on a CI, that they're, they're running regularly, and that if they break, someone has to fix it. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Vine, we were just under so much pressure to get the app out. Like There wasn't time to deal with tests that are testing things that are going to change in the next three hours. Mm. And the same thing with Secret. Like when we, when we started building the app, the tests would break too frequently if we spent too much time building them up front. But now that things are stable, more tests have started to enter in the code base. Um, but again, they're more like unit tests and like kind of logic tests. I don't have a great solution for UI tests and integration tests on Android. Mm-hmm. I've worked with a few frameworks. I've worked with Robotium. We've worked with App Purify, which has been really helpful with us too. And on Secret, you know, I think we can build out a sophisticated UI testing process uh, at some point. On Vine, that was almost impossible because mm. you can't, you know, you can't run the Vine recorder in the emulator. The emulator is, um, I mean, we built Vine without the emulator because you can't. It just doesn't work. You, the camera doesn't work. There's issues all over the place. So mm. we just said forget it. Whereas at least on Twitter, you know, tests can run in the emulator. Sure. I don't know. I don't have a good grasp on where testing in Android is going. It's been ridiculously messy. Hmm. Do you have any development practices that you want to change or improve? Change or improve? Um, practices like uh, like team practices or individual practices? Sure. Or? Open-ended. Or anything you're crazy about, something that's working really well? Let's see. Well, code reviews are definitely working well, and I'm glad we brought them, we brought them in. Mm-hmm. Um, we catch a lot of things. Um, one of the things that we had on Twitter that I haven't been able to, 
and I, I'm going to say the word enforce, but that's not what I mean. I, I mean more like inspire. Mm-hmm. Twitter, especially when Twitter for Android was small, there was an entire year when there was just three of us on, on Twitter for Android. And that was a really fun, fun year. Mm-hmm. The, the lead on, on Twitter for Android, Jonathan, had very strict coding uh, like a coding style guide and just general Android practices and whatever. And, and he had come from Motorola and, and has, had worked with the, the, the crappiest, lowest end memory phones in existence. Right. And he had, he had a system and it didn't necessarily matter if some of the practices or some of the guidelines that he had were better than others. What mattered was that everyone followed them. Yep. Absolutely. And what it meant is that you could scan code so easily because as soon as you saw something out of place, um, you could find it. Mm-hmm. And that's a practice that I haven't been able to bring into the secret Android code yet. I've brought it in in some ways, but that I think we could use some improvement on. I mean, it makes sense. We, we were under a tight deadline and we just had to get the app out there. But those small nitpicky things that seem annoying, I think, prevent bugs and, and make code easier to understand and improve your productivity by a large amount. I totally agree with that sentiment of like having a style guide is a good idea. It's, not, it's almost not important what's in the style guide. Uh, it's kind of more just that everyone can agree on one thing. So we, we've done that. We have a ThoughtBot style guide, and we write all our Ruby that way. That was a really good first step was to, to get that consensus on that. And then we started realizing that we were spending a fair amount of time in code reviews, like, oh, this doesn't follow the style guide, this doesn't follow the style guide. And so we actually wrote a, a GitHub bot that reviews pull requests and comments on lines that violate styles. Uh, it's called Hound. But that's something that I think has been a really positive change in our development process. Awesome. Could you just have that run before it before it even commits? Yeah, that's everyone's uh, first question, I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the plan is eventually that it might do that, but I, I'm not sure. Awesome. Yeah, Android has some linting tools that have been useful, too. and, and That's what I really wish we had, actually. So, like, it'd be nice if, like, Hound would run locally and tell you before you even pushed. But I'd actually rather just that it ran and then fixed them before I even pushed. And I would actually even rather that before any of that happened, my editor was just like, oh, you're running this style plugin and this doesn't match it, so fix it right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to adhere to this stuff, not just because of all of the great things that we mentioned, but, and this is one of the things that I think Jonathan really taught me, is that this is our craft. And if we're not going to do it right, and if we're not going to do it with some beauty, then why, why are we doing it? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. It's like if you're like a carpenter and you have all your chisels lined up by, you know, length or whatever you measure chisels by. And just like having that on the wall in a certain way and it's always there when you reach for it and you know the order and all that. Like just like there's a there's a joy in that to me. Yeah. I'm into exactly. it. I agree. Cool. So what haven't I asked you about that we should talk about? Anything? Um, we talked about Girls Who Code. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll ask you actually because um, – do you feel like the issues surrounding women in engineering are they're more at the forefront today? Do you feel like you're hearing more about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And why do you think that is? I don't know. Why was it not a thing before? Why is it a thing now? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I, I hope it's because we're getting more enlightened. And it was a problem before, but it just didn't get talked about. And now people are talking about it more. Uh, I don't know if that's the actual reason, but that's, I hope that is why. Beyond that, maybe it's just because we are more connected and communicative than before. Like, I can follow people on Twitter that I would never have heard of previously and get more and a, a more varied insight on the world. Could yeah. be that too. I think I think both of those things are I think both of those things are true. I, I find it very interesting, you know, having been in the industry for some time, that in the last year or two, 
this issue has come to the forefront, and I'm kind of like, cool. I'm glad you guys are finally noticing. Right. I've been in it for some time. You know, I've seen all these issues. Um, just no one ever talked about it. So. Yeah, it seems like the trend is in in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of t- still plenty of problems to fix, but it seems like more people are taking notice and taking action as well. Yes. Cool. Well, it's actually been really fun to talk to you. I'm glad you could uh, swing by the San Francisco office and uh, chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? Anything I want to plug? Uh, let's see. Uh, Secret is awesome. And if you haven't uh, given it a try yet, you should go download it. Like I said before, like I really think that some really good, productive conversation is being had on this platform that can't happen on other platforms. So don't miss out. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for coming by and chatting. All right. Thanks a lot. So today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 107. Thanks for listening. 